Today, our study leader, Dave Wurtson, plows ahead into some pretty controversial material as we turn in our New Testaments to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Both men and women need to listen carefully to what the Apostle Paul was saying about the relationship of men and women to one another and ultimately to God. Let's join Dave as he begins our discussion of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Have you ever thought of how chauvinistic it is to have a Father's Day? In fact, I've come up with a great idea. I really think that what we need to do is just to eliminate Father's Day and Mother's Day. Now, you laugh about that kind of thinking, and obviously I'm not saying that that's my own view, but that kind of thinking is very, very common in our society today. We need to eliminate all the male-female language, even in the Bible. We want to be very careful to eliminate any of the sexual language. To pray our Father who art in heaven, it's better to pray our ultimate parent who is in heaven. That kind of thinking is very modern, but it's very unbiblical. And what we want to look at today is a very important passage where the Apostle Paul dealt with the Corinthian church, a first century church, about the breakdown of sexual distinctions within their family. Once you open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I don't think the Apostle Paul would be involved in some of the modern controversy about eliminating sexual language. I think he would be very much in favor of having a Father's Day and a Mother's Day. This passage is very interesting because it's been used, especially in the 60s, to lambaste any hippie that came into the room or into the church. And somebody asked me last night when they found out I was going to teach from 1 Corinthians 11, they said, well, are you going to get to the hair passage? And I said, yeah, I think that is included in that. So it's a passage which has been used even in our own day for some rather unique uses to prove some points that want to be proved. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 11 and let's try to put it in the perspective of what the Apostle Paul was genuinely getting at. We begin in verse 2 with some praise and that's very important because from now, from chapter 11 through chapter 14, the Apostle Paul in chapter 11, 12, 13, and 14 is going to be talking to us about problems in worship. He's going to begin with a problem in worship in the Corinthian church about female attire. Then he's going to get into a much more serious problem from his own perspective and also from our perspective about abuses at the celebration of the Lord's table. Then he's going to talk about something that's become very controversial in our own day. He's going to talk about problems in the use of tongues, the use of speaking in the spirit language, whatever that is, and we'll get into those chapters. Those basic points, and he's going to try to bring it all to a focus by saying that our priority needs to be on love, 1 Corinthians 13, and it needs to be on a belief in the resurrection. So that will give you a handle on what's going to happen in the rest of the book of Corinthians. And the Bible, like any other book, is developing themes and points, and those are the themes, problems in worship, problem with female attire, problem with the celebration of the Lord's table, and problems with the gift of tongues. That will hold the book for the rest of our time in 1 Corinthians together for you. He begins this whole discussion of problems in the church by praising the Corinthians. Look what he says in chapter 11, verse 2. I praise you. I praise you for remembering me in everything. Now, he doesn't say, well, I'm really thankful that you thought of me, that you sent letters to me. That's not what he has in mind. 
The Apostle Paul throughout this entire book has been maligned by certain segments within the church. They were like a lot of church families, and any church family can fall into it. They started backbiting against their spiritual leaders. The Apostle Paul throughout the book has been defending his role as an apostle. He's not just telling the Corinthians, I'm thankful that you remember my name. But what he says is, I'm thankful that you're following the revelation from God that I've given. Because the Apostle Paul, as he does in all of his letters, is claiming that God is speaking through him. Now, you can disagree with that. You can say, well, I don't believe that that's true. And you can say, well, Paul, I don't think you told the truth. But you don't have the right to say like a fellow that called who made up his own viewpoint. The idea that Jesus was just a good teacher, the apostles were just in a long line of spiritual teachers. The Bible just doesn't give you that kind of an option. Because the apostle Paul throughout this book says, I receive revelation from God. Jesus Christ is speaking to me. And as I give you this instruction, it's got the authority of God on that. Now when somebody talks to you like that, you can say, well, you're a fake, you're a liar, and that's legitimate intellectually. Or you can say, I believe you, and I want to build my life on what you're saying, and as you do that, you'll find out that it truly is the Word of God because it will bring meaning to life. Those are the two options. What you can't say is, you lied throughout your book, but I think there's a few little tidbits here and there that are helpful spiritually. Because the Apostle Paul, this idea that he is an authority for the church, permeates everything that he writes. And he tells the Corinthians, I'm thankful, I praise you, for the most part you're following the teaching, the inspired teaching that I've given. Look what he says in the second part of the verse. I'm praising you for holding to the traditions, or the teaching, or to the doctrine that I have passed on to you. Very strong in the Apostle Paul's thinking is an idea that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, ordained a group of disciples to represent him on the earth. The Holy Spirit was given who came to live in their life, and those first century apostles were inspired by the Spirit to give us the traditions of the Holy Scriptures. The Apostle Paul says, I was one of those disciples or apostles born out of due time, almost at the end of the train, because on the Damascus road the Lord appeared to him. The Apostle Paul is saying he's using the idea of tradition in a very positive sense, not just as some religious binding ritual that was made up by human beings, but he uses it of authority from God. And he's telling the Corinthians, I praise you. Most of you Corinthians are following the teachings of the Apostle. And I think that's very important for us to communicate today. I think often when we come to church that we feel like it's always exhortation and it's always warning and it's always telling us what we don't do. The Apostle Paul wasn't that kind of a teacher. And even when he was going to have to reprimand the Corinthians for negative behavior, he starts out by telling them, the majority of you, most of you are following what I say. You're trying to put into practice by the Holy Spirit's power the teaching of the Holy Scripture. And so he begins by saying, I praise you for remembering me, for remembering the traditions that I've given. And Paul's so thankful for that, and I'm thankful for so many of you 
that day in and day out are in the book, listening to the voice of God talk to you. The heartbeat of your life is you want to grow in the Lord. You want to become more like him. And we need to pray that we'll do that more and more. But often, as with most good teachers, when they pray this for what we do right, they also need to turn around and tell us some of the things we're doing wrong. In other words, Paul wasn't like the piano teacher that I've heard about that would always tell you what you did wrong. They'd, in fact, they'd hit you on the knuckles with a, with a ruler when you played the wrong thing. And one day the student said to the teacher, why is it that you never praise me for what you do right? You always tell me what I do wrong. And the teacher said, well, I don't need to tell you what you do right. You've already got that down. That's what a teacher is for, just to reprimand you and point out when you do wrong. And often we can have that philosophy of discipline, and sometimes it works if the pupil has a very strong self-confidence. Most of us do not. So the Apostle Paul doesn't just rap us on the knuckles when we do something wrong. He also gives us praise for the majority of the things that we're doing right. However, he's a truthful man that doesn't just talk about the positive. He also brings to light some of the problems in the Corinthian church. And so we turn to the problem of divine worship in verses 3 and following. Let me read the verses and then we'll talk about them. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. We can handle that one, okay? The head of every man is Christ. So Christ and man is underneath the authority of Christ and is a reflection of Christ. The head of the woman, and we could translate the head of the husband is Christ, the head of the, hus the, head of the, the wife is the husband, because behind this is not just talking about all human relationships. We must be very careful not to take this passage and extrapolate it to the workplace, to the political place, because Paul is talking about the home, and then he's talking about worship as a community of believers in the family of God. So we're talking about the setting of the home, and we're talking about the setting of the church. He says, now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, the rub in our culture is where in those verses? It's not so much in, all right, Christ is the head of the man. I've got that. And the idea of God the Father being over God the Son and being in submission to him, okay, that's talking about the relationships within the Godhead. The problem that we have is this business of the man being over the woman, right? And it conjures up. Years and years of abuse, and we can picture a John Wayne character who carries things to extreme, and he's beating on the little woman, and he's whipping her into shape, and all those images, the whole thing of exclusion of women from, from being able to do things and being able to be a full-blown citizen all comes into play. And so today there's many intellectuals, even in the church today, that are strongly saying the Apostle Paul is not talking about subordination at all. All that he's talking about is origin. He's saying that Christ originates in God the Father, and he says that the woman originated from the man, and that's all that it has to say. Now, in light of the modern debate, my human side would love to tell you 
that as a pastor teacher, I genuinely believe that's what the scripture is saying, and I'll declare that there's no submission in the family. You can just flip a coin about who's going to make the final decision in your home. You can flip a coin according to talents if you want to, who should be the leader of your home and who should be leaders in the church. From a human modern standpoint, I could teach you like that. The only problem is that we would cease to be a Bible church and I would cease to teach you with integrity because I can't get away from Ephesians 5 because the word head, true the word head, can mean origin. In fact, in Hellenistic Greek or Koine Greek of the first century, it often did mean that. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, head did also mean leadership and authority. What I can't get away from is though the meaning of the term head doesn't have to mean leadership and authority and the need for submission, I can't get away from the fact that in Ephesians 5, in Titus chapter 2, and in 1 Peter 3, it talks about the need for a woman, a wife, to be submissive to the divinely ordained leader that God has placed over her, which is the husband. Now the text in every one of those contexts goes on and spells out what that leadership is and it's a very loving, very caring, very saving and enhancing kind of leadership. But it is leadership. And so we can't get away, even though our modern culture screams at us and says we don't have any leader in the home, we all just need to be partners with nobody really having the authority. What the New Testament says is that God has the authority and God has ordained for the husband and for the male leaders within a church family to lovingly exercise Christ's authority. And if they're not under Christ, then they will be abusive. They will be harming to those that are underneath them. But when they submit to Christ, Loving, saving leadership creates an environment where everyone under that leadership is able to go on and become all that God wants them to be. I still believe the church sets up that kind of authority, of relationship structure within the church. And so, honestly, I can't jettison from the idea of Christ being under the authority of his Father. In, in other words, in that sense, his Father being his head. I can't jettison the role of submission and respect for leadership in the relationship between a man and a woman within the family of God. So the Apostle Paul goes on, and, he, and there's a specific way in the Corinthian church that a woman declared her submission to God's order, to God's plan, and that the men expressed submission to the Lord. In the Corinthians, we're getting this particular distinction all mixed up. Look what it says in verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off, and if it is a disgrace, for a woman to have her hair cut off or shaved, she should cover her head. Now, that means about as much to us as who knows what. We don't have any idea what's really going on there because veils and head coverings are not that present 
within our culture. If I was speaking to an Islamic group, you would understand this very much. In fact, the Islamic teaching has gone in a completely different direction and has just taken this kind of idea and put an entire race of women under a tremendous bondage and a loss of freedom. The Apostle Paul isn't doing that. Let me point out, first of all, to be honest with you, I can't explain to you exactly what the custom was. The Greek text here is very ambiguous. It says that if a man prays with something hanging down from his head, and I use the ambiguous term, term something, the Corinthians knew what it was, and Paul didn't have to make clear to them because it was just a common practice for them and everyone would have understood but here from a distance of about 1900 years, we can only make guesses about what it was. There are a lot of pictures from the first century, like on reliefs and temples and from pottery jars and things like that. We can probably conclude that in everyday life it was very normal for a woman to pull like a, a, a hood up over. She wore like a, a long flowing robe, which both the men and women wore. So you can't say that women shouldn't wear pants because those are not feminine attire because in the first century they all wore something that in our culture would look like a dress, okay? But the women would pull up from their neck one of these hoods. And you, ladies, you would know, even today, we have some dresses that are like that where you pull a hood up. Evidently, the custom of everyday life was for a woman to go about with her hood up. What's hard to figure out is that there were different customs. If you were in a public gathering, the women would do one practice. If you were privately at home, they would do something else. And then you would have the problem of, did the first century church consider the gathering of the family of God a private gathering or a public gathering? So there's been all kinds of things written, and you've probably heard messages on this text explaining to you that the, this was a veil or this was a particular head covering. In fact, I was raised in a church where all the ladies wore hats. I used to wear these black little jobs with netting coming down sometimes. Sometimes they wore big flamboyant hats. I remember as a kid sitting in church trying to see who was teaching through this mirage of, of headgear that was in front of me. In fact, I remember sometimes the ladies would come and before we could get a service started, everyone needed to evaluate the headgear, all right? We don't know exactly what the custom of Corinth was. What we do know is that it was distinctive for the women. And it was a way for them to express their femininity within the Corinthian culture. Now, what was happening? Some of the dear ladies in Corinth said, we're in Christ. We are in the Beloved, in Him. We are ruling in heaven with Him, which is all true. Therefore, we are like the angels. Therefore, in the body of Christ, all sexual distinctions are over because Paul himself taught in the book of Galatians, in him there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, and so all these distinctive customs that we keep in Corinth, we can throw them off. So what was happening? The Corinthian church would gather, these liberated ladies would throw off their head covering, or another interpretation is that they would let their hair down 
and they would give a rousing, frenzied speech. We're going to get into that when we get to chapter 14. Now, what was happening? The men saw this, and all their attention was directed on guess who? In other words, if you've got a beautiful lady that has beautiful hair, and she's waxing eloquent, guess what the guys hear? Nothing. Guess what they focus on? The woman. The Apostle Paul does not look upon that glory of the woman as being a negative thing. But it is negative in the gathering together of God's people. Because the Apostle Paul is talking to us about the custom when the women and the men are doing something very important. Look what it says. It says when a man prays or prophesies... He shouldn't have his head covered. When a woman prays or prophesies, which meant that the Corinthian women were doing it, and if that was a wrong practice, it seems rather ludicrous that we have all these verses explaining the proper attire that the women are supposed to have when they do this if the practice is wrong, if God doesn't want his women to pray if God doesn't want them to ever say anything to encourage God's people, it would be rather ludicrous for the Apostle Paul to say, I don't agree at all that you're praying or prophesying, but here's the attire you should wear when you, wear, when you do it. He would have just told them, stop doing what you're doing. Stop praying at all. Stop prophesying at all. He doesn't say that. Now, we're going to have to understand clearly when we get to 1 Corinthians 14 what he meant by the women being silent and what he means about a woman not putting herself in an authority position over a man. But right now we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I think that the Apostle Paul implies that the Corinthian women legitimately were moved by the Holy Spirit because in the first century church, prophecy would be the Holy Spirit coming into a woman's life, into a man's life, and moving them to declare the very word of God. And the Holy Spirit did that like he did at Pentecost. The women at Pentecost prophesied with the men. In the Corinthian church, the women prophesied with the men. I want to point out something by way of application. Where is your focus the idea of praying and prophesying points out two foci, like an ellipse, that we need to be focused on in the local church as we gather together. You see, I find in my own life that when I gather to church, my focus very much is on who's here today. How many people are here today? Will the offering be big enough that we don't go in the tank. I find it's very easy for me to have all these things in my mind. I'm worrying about who's here, who isn't here. Is the singing going well? In other words, are we up today? Are we not up today? Are we into this service? Are we not? How many of you find that those are some of the thoughts that you have? How do I feel today? How are things going today? You know, that's not the focus the Lord wants us to have when we gather together. In fact, you know what those ideas do to me? They make me very uptight or very proud. And all of you fall into that same pattern. And we also get the focus on, was it a good service today? 
Did it meet my needs today? I want to tell you something. It'll radically change our life if we listen to the focus of prayer and if we listen to the focus of prophecy. And prayer and prophecy will be our focus the next time we get together as Dave continues this exposure of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The next time you gather for worship, I pray that your focus will be on God and His Son. As Americans, we are always thinking about how a TV program or a movie affected us, and whether or not it made us feel good or high. This focus on self will rob us of the encouragement and thrill of connecting with a God who is really there. We, as men and women, will only begin to learn to relate to one another in love and in respect when we learn first to relate to God. <laughs>